Welcome to Wisdom, Love, and Beauty, a podcast for the soul and the home of dangerous wisdom. This is Dr. Nikos, your friendly neighborhood soul doctor. Today we consider the question of the most complex structure in our mind and why we need to take better care of it. You may have heard scientists say that the most complex structure in the known universe is the human brain. That brain is somehow related to the mind, though none of our scientists can say for certain how or why that connection functions. When we ask what is the most complex structure of our mind, we should be careful with terms. In asking this question, we can think of ourselves as asking, what is the most complex structure in the human psyche? Or, what is the most complex structure in the human soul? Remember that the Greek word psyche that gives us the term psychology originally indicated the soul. Now, we don't have to think of the soul in a narrowly religious way. Instead, we could see it as a term that both a theistic person and a non-theistic person can somehow share, even if they mean slightly different things by it. That might seem strange, but strange is the standard state of affairs in philosophy. Okay, so what is the most complex structure of the mind, the psyche, or the soul? According to the great psychologist Carl Jung, based on his experience helping hundreds of patients and studying the Western world's vast storehouse of wisdom, the most complex structure of the mind is our philosophy of life. Isn't that interesting? Jung felt that our philosophy is a complex thing that significantly determines our fate. When we think about that carefully, it becomes rather surprising how little discussion there is about philosophy proper in business, politics, and culture change. Granted, people have lots of conversations that are inherently philosophical, but philosophy itself is often neglected because we think it's abstract or theoretical. True enough, it's become that way in the modern university, but that has nothing to do with its real character and its roots. And thus, for most executives, artists, entrepreneurs, and people from all walks of life, Philosophy is a treasure trove of untapped potential. If we had any doubt about the power of philosophy to shape the world and shape our personal destiny, we might consider the fact that philosophers like John Locke shaped our understanding of democracy, and that the framers of the U.S. Constitution drew on their study of philosophers, going all the way back to Aristotle. Similarly, we can acknowledge the ways the philosophy of Karl Marx has had both positive and also incredibly negative impacts on millions and millions of people. We can also consider the fact that every major form of psychotherapy derives from philosophy. Jung and Freud, along with many other psychologists, drew from philosophers like Plato and Nietzsche. The cognitive behavioral revolution had its roots in Stoic philosophy. And the biggest revolution in psychology of our time comes from the influence of Buddhist philosophy, which has had an impact on everything from hardcore neuroscience to a whole array of mindfulness-based and compassion-based therapies and pedagogies. As philosophies like Platonism, Stoicism, and Buddhism change our way of thinking, speaking, and acting, 
They alter our destiny, and they empower us to fulfill more of our potential. They do this by means of over 2,000 years of experimental investigation, because they were always intended to be practical through and through. Philosophy is powerful, and again, it's a largely untapped resource. Given that working on our philosophy of life can be transformative and inspiring, it can be quite exciting to discuss and explore, but it's also challenging. Our philosophy is so intimate that we cannot quite see it. It guides the life of each of us, and it guides the life of the world. This makes it tricky to talk about. We have to look at it in various ways, at times using stories, case studies, and examples, at other times thought experiments and plain old philosophical description and careful thinking. We'll have some background discussion in this episode, and we'll look at some more concrete details in others. For now, let's remember that philosophy literally means love wisdom, philosophia. Philosophy or love wisdom is the thing we cannot escape because love wisdom means how we do things. We may think of philosophy as especially relevant to how we find out whom and what we love, how we relate to whom and what we love. But anything we do comes with philosophy attached to it. We don't just create or go to work or negotiate deals or talk to friends or relate to romantic partners. Rather, we have a philosophy of working, creating, and negotiating. We have a philosophy of friendship and relationships. That philosophy may not always be obvious, but we think there's a right way and a wrong way to do things. And that's our basic philosophy of life, our own love wisdom. And we could empower ourselves most profoundly if we would begin to work with it more directly. And we would also empower the world because the world is lived by our love wisdom, or it is lived by our ignorance. And we are that world. In some sense, our philosophy, all the philosophy of the dominant culture, has collided with the truth of the world and the truth of our soul and the souls of all beings. Perhaps you see that collision in the world, and maybe you also feel it inside of you. It's especially common in the feeling that there is something more, something deeply meaningful for us to do with our life, that somehow the culture hasn't made available to us, that our culture has even made false promises, that our education and our career choices don't actually offer us what we somehow deeply need, that they can't fill a kind of hunger in the soul. We feel the effects of this collision in our own bodies and minds, as depression or anxiety, as tightness or shortness of breath, as constant fatigue, feelings of anger, loss, or betrayal, or as the absence of a deep sense of satisfaction, even though we might tell ourselves we're happy. But again, we also see these effects in the world, in the polluted rivers, in the broken mountains, in the plastic and mercury in our oceans, in the increasing fires, heat, storms, and droughts, in the flood of consumer goods and entertainments we sometimes love 
but often feel drained by. This collision with the world is, as the great scientist and philosopher Gregory Bateson put it, the result of the difference between the way nature works on the one hand and the way human beings think on the other. It's the difference between what our philosophy is supposed to do and what it actually does. Our philosophy of life is supposed to put our thinking in harmony with the way life itself works, not put us in conflict with it, however indirectly. If we could think the way nature thinks, then we would be able to think things into being the way nature does. Every spring, nature thinks a billion blossoms into bloom, and we carry on with our lives, not sure how to think better. We arrive here at a potentially intimidating distinction between our philosophy of life in the abstract and our philosophy of life as we actually live it. Our philosophy of life in the abstract, in theory, might include all sorts of beautiful ideas we expound about ourselves, our culture, and our world. But those ideas are just ideas, just things we claim to value and believe. Many of us are familiar with this gap between theory and practice as a widespread problem. For instance, the philosophy our workplace might claim as the ideal is not always what we experience in practice. Throughout the culture, we see a tremendous conflict between ideals such as wisdom, compassion, kindness, community, and what we see in practice in the news, on the highways, at work, in our cities and towns. In practice, especially under the typical stresses of modern life, there is a significant difference between what we say and even sincerely believe is motivating our actions and what actually governs our actions and even our thinking, especially in challenging circumstances, but also in an ongoing way. People regularly default to ways of thinking, speaking, and acting they don't always realize are inconsistent with their own values. Most people are quite unaware of many of the ways their action in the world is out of alignment with their consciously proclaimed beliefs and ideals. Many people, of course, find themselves groping for a deeper sense of meaning and purpose, but this makes them just like most people because, in practice, most people have a philosophy of life that is effectively incoherent. This is the primary source of our most painful and persistent problems in life and in the world. In practice, for all sorts of reasons, we default to an incoherent philosophy of life, which we can think of as the ego's and the culture's basic operating system. It's a system of control because the ego needs to control things, and it both creates problems and limits our potential. In the world of business and in U.S. culture in general, we see the symptoms of this operating system manifest in the full spectrum of work and career-related issues, including high stress, reduced success, even self-sabotage, low morale, disengagement, poor individual and group decision-making and problem-solving, ineffective leadership, certainly politically and also in business, 
patterns of drama and blame, also politically and in business. And in general, we see behavior that's far less skillful, creative, insightful, and wise than it could be, especially based on what the philosophical traditions tell us our real potential is. This kind of gap between our philosophy as we wish it were on the one hand and our philosophy as we live it and are lived by it on the other not only leads to less skillful action, but it can provoke people into distraction, depression, despair, and even into tragedy such as addiction, isolation, suicide, and mass shootings. If we have any suffering in our lives, if there is anywhere we could become a little more successful, a little more skillful, a little wiser, more creative, more resilient, more loving, less self-hating, less self-sabotaging, less anxious and fearful. If there is any place like that in our life, then there are places where our philosophy of life needs potential transformation. That's why wisdom-based coaching roots itself in philosophy which means it helps clients become more rooted in the values they claim to hold dear rather than the values manifested in their current behavior. The closer we get to our highest values, the closer we get to the real meaning and purpose of our lives, the better our performance in any field, in any activity. There are a couple things to keep in mind in a general way. One is that our philosophy of life is complex. As Jung pointed out, it's the most complex structure in the psyche. This does not mean it's complicated, but rather it's sophisticated and relational. This complexity challenges a basic unconscious assumption. We tend to assume we can pursue our goals without any regard to the deeper philosophical issues that might be driving us or that might have relevance for how we should go about pursuing those goals. Given that every action, every thought, every communication is nestled inside our philosophy of life, when we try to make changes in our lives without looking at our philosophy of life, we are fighting against our own soul as well as fighting against reality itself. And this always creates negative side effects, even if at first we seem to be succeeding, perhaps grandly. If nothing else, failing to take up a wisdom-based approach will always leave some of our potential left untapped. The other thing to keep in mind is that more skillful practice and realization of our own ideals is never going to be what we think it will be. We'll address that in another conversation, but it's a crucial point. For now, it's important to sense that our philosophy of life is a practice of waking up to the way life itself invites us to live, meeting the world halfway, so to speak. If you happen to be religiously or spiritually inclined, this is like saying that philosophy is about how, in the most practical terms, we can allow divine inspiration to function through us. A non-theistic person could take out the word divine, but if they are wise, they might replace it with the word sacred. Inspiration is still sacred, even if we don't think of it in theistic terms. 
However we put it, the situation is not simply that our philosophy of life must conform to the world, because our philosophy of life helps create the world. However, we can't create the world out of nothing. Rather, we have to live by attuning ourselves to something that transcends our ego. We have to attune ourselves to reality even as we co-create that reality. We take guidance from the world even as we help it discover and create its own potentials. In our careers, in our personal lives, in our lives as citizens, if we want an actual method to reduce suffering, to overcome personal and professional obstacles, to improve relationships with family, friends, and even strangers, we need to work with our philosophy of life. But to emphasize the point again, talking about it is one thing, and the practice of philosophy is in some sense always another matter. A lot of therapy, coaching, and self-help involves a good bit of pleasant or even exciting verbiage with practices that might make the ego happy for a little while. But both the concepts and the practices don't tend to go deeply enough to revitalize our vision in a way that puts us more in harmony with ourselves, with others, and with the world. Since the most widespread therapies, coaching approaches, and self-help principles either come directly from philosophical traditions, or at least mirror them in some way, they are often incredibly powerful, and we may see dramatic shifts if we apply them. But our philosophy of life is complex because the world is complex. As a matter of ethical obligation to ourselves and others, and also as a matter of being realistic, we have to go deeper. We have to put our efforts at self-help into a broader philosophical context. It's important to emphasize that, as Jung pointed out, our philosophy of life, in some sense, determines our fate. We can understand this in a few ways. For one, our philosophy of life shapes our basic sense of what is worthwhile or even possible for us to experience in this life, as well as opening up experiences that go beyond all our ideas of what is possible. If it seems worthwhile to become a CEO, invent an app, or otherwise get rich, that's going to shape our experience of life, and a lot of other wildly interesting possibilities may completely disappear for us. That relates to another matter. Our philosophy of life either helps us to become more skillful and more realistic, or it maintains some degree of ignorance and unskillfulness. Both of those things have a lot to do with our actual practice of that philosophy, not merely what we say about it. But perhaps the best way to explain why our philosophy of life determines our fate is to say that a philosophy of life has only one real aim, to introduce us to ourselves, to help us truly realize what we are, what the world is, and how we can live in the most vitalizing way. Our philosophy of life is not about argument, theory, abstraction, or speculation. It's about living more skillfully and more successfully living in accord with wisdom, love, and beauty, and fulfilling our highest purpose. How can we fulfill our purpose without knowing what we are? How can we realize our greatest success 
without knowing what we are. After all, we are the tool, the primary and, in the end, the only tool we ever use in order to accomplish anything at all in our lives. If we don't know what the tool is and how it works, if we don't know what the soul is, what the psyche is and how it works, what the body, the heart, the world are and how they work, we cannot expect to use it to its fullest potential. Of course, it must be the epitome of strangeness to say, I don't really know what I am. We can obviously say, I'm a human being, or I'm a Christian, I'm a child of God, I'm a scientist, I am rational, I am fiscally conservative, I'm a CEO, I'm a parent, or anything at all that makes us feel like we have answered the question, who am I? But our verbal answers, no matter how clever or seemingly accurate, don't get us around the painful fact that we don't really and truly understand our nature and purpose. We can experience a certain degree of bleakness, fear, or anxiety about this. Or we might cling to superficial answers that sound right because they seem to come from the right religious, familial, economic, or political faith. But we tend to have faith in things we don't truly understand. We don't need any faith to understand that one plus one is two. That's plain as day. What stands in the way of insights into the plain as day nature of philosophical truths, the nature of self and reality? What stands in the way are the many things we claim to know, the many things that appear to us as true, but which are not so right as we think. No one can help us until we let go a little. And then, to put it the way some philosophers have put it, then we can help all beings and let all beings help us. We are never alone in the work of love wisdom, and by means of our playful practice of life, we can actually make the world a better place, a better home for all. There are so many angry, alienated, lost, betrayed, fearful, bitter, and bitterly suffering beings in the world, both human and non-human. We need a very skillful philosophy of life in order to help them and ourselves. It can feel daunting. The problems of the world can seem so large, and we ourselves can feel so small and lowly, we can feel hopeless. Philosophy or love wisdom is about being hopeless and finding ourselves anyway, realizing our gifts, our purpose, and the meaning of life. Improving our philosophy of life will transform our destiny. And that improvement is not about theory or speculation but about the most pragmatic relationship with the grit and the grace of everyday life. All right, well, what do you think? What is your philosophy of life? And what is the gap between what you wish it would be and what it is in practice? You might also ponder the following thought. Jung said that our philosophy of life is the most complex structure of the psyche. 
He also referred to the foolishness of thinking we have our own psyche in our pocket. By that, he meant we need a revolution in our thinking about the psyche or the soul, because our default philosophy treats it as something inside of us. Jung wrote, quote, As I see it, the psyche is a world in which the ego is contained. Maybe there are fishes who believe that they contain the sea. We must rid ourselves of this habitual illusion. Quite a thought to ponder. Everything we identify with as I, me, mine, is itself completely contained by our own psyche or soul. How can we give up the delusion of identification and allow the full wisdom, love, and beauty of the soul to function and to grant us both the meaningful success and the profound joy we so hunger for? If you have reflections or questions about today's episode, send them in at wisdomloveandbeauty.org and we'll address some of them in a future episode. Until then, this is Nikos Patadakis, your friendly neighborhood soul doctor, reminding you that your soul and the soul of the world are not two things. Take good care of them. <laughs>